If you are clear on the difference between what's negotiable and what's not negotiable, when the shit hits the fan, when the disruptions come in, when coronavirus comes in, you're in a position to grab onto the stuff that really matters because you've clarified it. And the thing is, when you make any decision, you simultaneously breathe life into one of those possibilities and you breathe death into all of the others. Really to honor yourself and express yourself and, um, and develop your potential in the world, I'm pretty sure you've got to be saying the word no a lot. Hey everybody, welcome on back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is your host, Dan Palmer. And this, believe it or not, is episode 40, which kind of amazes me. I guess you're joining me in a sort of a little celebration today. 40 episodes. You know, I started this project four years ago, wanted to get a few things off my chest. About that time, I remember Rosemary Morrow, a mentor friend of mine, uh, was visiting. And I thought, oh, let's record an interview. We'll put that up on the site. Didn't know what I was doing. It was all echoey and stuff. Actually sent a sent a draft to Scott Mann from the Permaculture Podcast. <laughs> said, hey Scott, what do you reckon? And he gave me a few useful tips. Thanks, Scott. Anyway, um, 40 episodes. Wow. It's a thing. It's got momentum. I've actually got like I, I think I counted in my head last night. Like I think I've got seven episodes already recorded. So it's like for the first time I'm way ahead. And so there's going to be at least one episode a week for at least a month, probably a lot longer than that. And I might even have to go up to two episodes a week at this rate. Anyway. I wanted to uh, try another experiment, I suppose, today. I mentioned a while back when the whole coronavirus kicked in, I had an impulse to share stuff that, um, with the idea of it being of value to folks and navigating this time. And I've got a very strong impulse today to share something on the topic of what I call holistic decision making. And there's a few reasons for this. It, I actually floated it. I remember I did mention it a while back as something that I could, I could share. Um, and in the last week... Oh, there's been a, a lot of people um, getting in touch. And I've, I think in the last several days, I've worked with um, one individual and two, two, two couples. So I had three engagements where I've been supporting people in, um, in the direction of what, what I call articulating a holistic context or articulating their own core values or guiding principles or quality of life statements. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that terminology in a little bit. Um, but there's a, and I've had people just requesting, asking when the next courses and all that kind of stuff. And so, why it's relevant and what's it, what it is about is, um, in a nutshell, holistic decision making is a you can call it a framework or an approach if you want. For me, it's kind of evolved into a core aspect of my whole way of life. But initially, as a framework or an approach, um, it's about really doing the hard work of honing in on, on what matters most to you, what's more important than anything else to you or your family or your business. It can be applied to anything in your life. And then moving forward so that you make decisions and then and hence take actions in service of those deep, those deep principles or deep values. And it turns out that if you can do that, which isn't easy, the world's complex, there's all these things trying to push us in other directions and design our life for us. But if you can do it even a little bit, um, those values really start to be true and show up in your life, and and by definition, those are the those are the ingredients of the most fulfilling um, life as po as possible. That that really means you're being you, you're expressing yourself, and and you're able to um, move into the space of being a powerful change agent. Anyway, as we as we come out the other side of the initial wave of the whole coronavirus pandemic situation that swept the the 
the globe and we're just entering, I guess, the, the long drawn out waves of economic depression and um, other, other impacts. And so many people are asking all these questions about what, what does this mean? Are we going back to business as normal? What would it mean for this to be an opportunity to, to phase change into a more regenerative culture? And um, I'm sure you're, you're present to some of the conversations that are going on in the world and possibly going on inside your own head. Um, but either way, in terms of where it goes from here, a lot of people are, are, have been disrupted, sometimes you know, by losing their job or... Um, or, or getting this disease, or losing, you know, losing someone they love, or whatever the case may be. I, I personally don't know anyone that's lost anyone to this. It hasn't really affected our area that much. But it's a time when people are, have had, had a kind of a shock, a wake-up call of one one kind or another, and are, are kind of looking at their life and, and the future of their life with fresh eyes, and in many cases making some pretty big decisions about where they live, how they live, where their career is heading, all, all that kind of thing. And so it's a really ripe time um, for for approaches like this, which is all about supporting that kind of thing as as, as life kind of recongeals um, and the uncertainty of what's happening day by day diminishes a chance to revisit, I guess, the core operating assumptions of your life and um, and, and maybe freshen things up, a little, 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 little bit of redesign. And so because that's the time we're in and people are reaching out asking for this stuff, I thought I'd just have a bit of a freestyle and just share share something this approach, which is very alive for me personally at the moment. And it's something I use every day. We use it to, it's really the, the operating system of the business that I co-own and co-direct with my long-term friend and colleague, Adam Grubb, and um, our new incoming director, who's <laughs> been kind of a third director for a while, but we're just making it official, Jeremy Prentice. So we use it in our business in a whole lot of different ways, and my family uses it. I use it personally, and I support a lot of other people to use it. One of the main ways I use it professionally at the moment is a, is a lot of people are approaching us at the moment because of the, some of the reasons I've just mentioned. A lot of people are like, hell, we need to grow more food at home, or it's time to leave the city. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good idea for everyone at all, but I've been uh, approached by um, several people very recently, and there's, a, there's an upsurge in people in this space who, is, who have been thinking about moving to the country and doing the back to the land thing for a while, and now they're like, hell, let's do it, boom, it's party time, people. And they reach out to me, and they um, they often come to me with some kind of vision, and often a lot of goals, as in specific things they're envisage, envisaging on the land. And I'll start with a conversation saying, great, you know, what what you end up doing may or may not turn out like this, and either way, all this stuff as great as it is and useful as it is, it's all in service of something much deeper. And until I have a real a handle on that, and I know that you have a handle on it about what really matters here, um, it's hard for me to really to, to work with you. And people get that, and so we pretty much are wise if we if we proceed. That's where we start. And so I've been doing a lot of that just recently. Um, all right, that's pretty. It's quite a long-winded prelude. Let's let's launch right into it. And I guess I'll yeah I'll just I'll just try and fill you in. I'm thinking of booking in a webinar in the next couple of weeks, by the way. So if this feels a bit piecemeal or fragmented or um, whatever, it doesn't go deep enough to scratch any itch you notice you have with respect to it, you can look in the show notes or shouldn't. it won't be too hard to find your way to, to, to this webinar where I'll, I'll, go, I'll spend a couple of hours and maybe come at it from a slightly different direction. Um, oh, hang on. <laughs> in terms of long-winded prelude, i got to tell you, I just got an email back from Alan Savory this morning, who is the originator of Holistic Management. 
He's in he's in been in lockdown in Zimbabwe. And he's agreed. I suggested a podcast, which he can't do due to bandwidth issues. But I said, well, why don't we have a to and fro on email, and then I'll sh- I'll share it as a post on my website, um, which he agreed to. And he he's so I've asked him a question, and he's replied to the first question really beautifully and thoroughly. Um, so I'm very excited to be putting together this um, uh, this I guess it'll be a blog post sharing this conversation in the in the next month or two, whenever our, our conversation is done. And, um, and Alan Savory's work on holistic management was really the catalyst for me um, in, in, in getting a working feel for holistic management as a decision-making framework and then gradually evolving um, what I took from it into what I call holistic decision-making, which incorporates flavors from um, other, I don't know, lineages and, and approaches, including um, people like Robert Fritz, Stephen Covey, Carol Sanford, of course. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's listened to this podcast in recent <laughs> last year or so. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to mention that not only because it's current and live, and I'm very excited to have that one-on-one contact with Alan Savory, but also to give him a big head tip because the, oh, this episode wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't be living the life I'm living at all if it wasn't for the existence of, of um, the, the pioneering work he did with his stuff. Okay, so holistic management uh, um, and then holistic decision-making. Aside from a huge focus and a, and a lot of stuff around understanding ecosystem function um, and uh, the way the importance of the ways that humans manage the relationship between grazing, grazing livestock and grasslands, which is a big focus of this thing called holistic management, underneath all that is a decision what, what Savory calls a new decision making framework. And in, in, a, in, a, in a brief historical nutshell, is that he was working with farmers and ranchers um, in the space of can we stop desertifying the planet, please, people? If, you know, if this, if this, if we keep desertifying good, good land, at some point, game over for humanity. Humans won't be around anymore to make decisions. If we keep make, making decisions where, the way we're going, he he asked lots of questions about what was causing the desertification and got back to the fact it was human management. It was the decisions that human beings were making. And then, as he started to work with people to support them to make better decisions that didn't prioritize short-term profits, etc., for long-term environmental and or social degradation uh he he got had to go deeper and deeper and deeper and he got to the point where he, he couldn't actually work or stick unless he talked to people about what quality of life meant for them like deep down what was the most important stuff in their life that they were making all these decisions in service of and to him that that um was a core part of him creating a more holistic approach as opposed to what he calls the, the standard reductionistic approach to decision making and so he put that in a book uh, called Holistic Management, a new framework for decision making. I learned about it, did a workshop with an American trainer, Kurt Gadzia, I don't know, a long time ago, 10 years, eight years, I don't know. And I learned enough about it to apply it to the company I was part of, Very Edible Gardens, um, which was a young company. It was all going all over the place and we didn't know what we were doing and we were kind of getting dragged along by the company. It was our master we were its slave we're saying yes to everything and they're getting burned out and frazzled and you know standard kind of stuff losing money it was heading for the rocks and i came back from this workshop and said hey why don't we apply the stuff to it and so we created this thing called a context for the business which is just like what are the core why are we doing this anyway what are the core things we need to feel are true if this business is actually a joy and a pleasure to be a part of and not a drain and a um i don't know a living nightmare <laughs> Um, and so we worked through that process and created this thing for the business and the business, it was a huge part of the business turning around. 
and hmm, maybe I'll, I don't know how coherent this is, but maybe I'll read out a few of the statements we got to. And then we'll come back to other applications and how um, that work evolved into what I'm calling holistic decision making. And so there's a few layers to it, probably five or six layers. I'll probably only mention two today, uh, which are the which are core to it. And in the in the case of something like a business or a workshop or a podcast or a blog or so, whatever, some, something like that that you, that one or more people created for a specific reason, you, it makes sense to have a why statement, a, a purpose statement, and sometimes I call it the core intention. So Variable Gardens, that company is, is was created for a reason, and so over time we've refined a statement that's our best attempt to capture why why are we bothering? Why does this exist? Where are we heading with this? What's the what's the direction of this business? I'll read that out to you. It's Veg. Veg is short for Variable Gardens. Veg designs, builds, and educates about urban food production, ecological embeddedness, and community resilience in a way that grows our individual and collaborative capabilities. That, re that, that resonates, resonates, it rings for us. There's 12 of us in the team now, not all of them. Some of them are fresh hires. We've got busier, not quieter as a result of coronavirus, as I'm sure a lot of permaculture businesses have. And the community at large is like, holy shit, we need to learn about this permaculture stuff and grow some food, people. Um, so that's that's like our, our why, which is great. It's good to have and good for it to be um, specific and concrete and, and, and really uh, true of of what this business is about for us. Like, for instance, it's really critical that aside from adding value to the world and our customers, etc., that we're doing it in a way that increases our individual and collaborative capabilities. And not only are we individually um, growing and evolving and developing as beings, that our, our, our ability and our efficiency and our power and our clarity as a collaborative, that is being enhanced in the course of doing whatever we do. And that's not a byproduct or a nice um, secondary outcome. That is core, you know, that that, that is that is part of the um, the 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 essential stuff that we, we exist to be in service of. And moving on from that, and, and I, I'll share a diagram on the show notes, moving on, on from that central statement that that answered the question of why does this thing exist, what's its purpose? There's a kind of a halo of, of what Alan Savory calls quality of life statements. And I've started to use more, my language around it's more fluid these days. So I also call, call them guiding principles because that's also what they are. Or which I, which I note, by the way, that the Regenesis group talk about guiding principles sitting underneath the statement of purpose also. And in my second conversation with Bill Reed, he gave some examples of, of their approach to this, which is interesting to, to sense some degree of resonance there. Um, I, I also call them core values because that's really what they are. What are the core things that we as Variable Gardens value? And the way I explain the difference between the, the purpose statement and these quality of life statements or whatever you call them um, is that the, the, the why is like that's our north star or a magnetic north. That's where we're, where we're heading. These, these other statements... Are about what needs what do we need to feel is true as we pursue that why if the whole thing is as fulfilling as possible and you could say 
if the chances of any of us getting pissed off and unsatisfied about something and leaving along the way are as as low as possible, if that makes sense. So that they're very, very important because it's like what needs to be true along the way. So often we have come some kind of exciting destination and we burn out or we, our relationships suffer or our finances suffer or whatever, something suffers in the course of doggedly pursuing that aim. Whereas, as we all know, life's a journey, not a destination. And this is like, well, what does it mean to have a lovely journey along the way? And so I'll read some examples out. The first one we ever created was, um, well, it came from a space of like, well, what's what's most decreasing our quality of life right now? And we were like, well, we're constantly feeling unprofessional. We're rushed. We're disorganized. You know, we're a mess. We're late for everything. Um, we've taken on more than we can handle. Um I joke about how Adam's hair's always a mess and we'd show up to consults and we forgot our pen and we'd have to borrow a pen from the client to draw their design, you know. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. We wouldn't allow enough time between consultancies to actually get from one to the other. Adam was a terrible navigator. He didn't have a car license. And even when he got one, he didn't tell me so that I'd have to drive because we used to always design as a partnership. And he's a chronic daydreamer, so we'd get lost on the way and be late. Anyway, it was a stress. And so... You don't you don't write what you're getting away from. That's like um, it'd be like a, an arresting disorder paradigm approach, I suppose. You know, we are we are not stressed. We are not organised. You flip it round. Well, well, what? Come up with a statement that's if that statement were true, the stuff you're trying to get rid of couldn't exist anymore. And so we wrote, we are professional, organised, and unrushed. Boom! You know that felt good the moment we wrote it. We, wow! Yes, yes, we want to feel professional organized and unrushed day to day week to week as we pursue our aim here and so that was that was a big one and i don't think that one's changed much over the time it continues to serve us one point about these all these wordings and these contexts is that they're living documents they continue to evolve and almost every single other word or aspect of the whole context has changed a lot we're up to like version 12 or 13 um and, and we change something i mean it if you counted every change, it'd probably be version 200. You know, every single meeting we have, I might talk later about how we check in against this context on a six six weekly cycle. We change something. Um, it's a really important point that you don't try and perfect this. It's not like a master plan. You just get a working document or working articulation together. You know it'll continue to evolve and you start to use it to, to make decisions and check in against and you get more than enough information to, to evolve it in a, um, in a generative way. So don't fabricate these things. Generate them. Or let them generate themselves as you, as you notice what matters to you. So I'll read out a couple of other quality of life statements. So one is that we're becoming more resilient. So over time, this recently changed from we are resilient, which we realized it was kind of hard to... to to say if that was true from chicken to chicken, but we, we can we can have a sense of to what degree do we feel that we're becoming more resilient. Um, we are, another one is we are proud of veg and to be part of its evolution. You know, we want that to be true and becoming truer over time if we're feeling really fulfilled and excited about being part of it. Another one is we offer genuine value to our customers and feel connected to them. Another one is that uh, veg is obtaining a tidy yield and has a healthy cash flow. <laughs> There's a story behind a lot of these. It used to say, I think a veg is obtaining a reasonable yield. 
And um, I don't really like being reasonable anymore. I don't like being reasonable or linear or predictable. You know, I like the idea of being unreasonable, taking making unreasonable decisions towards what matters to me. And so I put that in there. But then Adam, my co-director, he kind of loves logic. And that's what I tell myself. You know, he might disagree. He's a rational person. And and so he just couldn't. He, he couldn't handle us, the idea of us making an unreasonable yield. <laughs> so he changed it to tidy, and everyone liked that. Features of Tony, tidy yield. Another one is we contribute to meaningful, fulfilling, and, and appropriately remunerated livelihoods. We conduct our business in a principled way with integrity and genuineness. And our business culture is based on mutual respect, open communication, and complementary diversity. I don't know if you can get a feel for this, but we found that over time that if we're consciously making decisions whose job is to make those things true as we pursue our aim, they all become truer over time. And it's really, really exciting to be part of an entity, in this case a business, where we've identified these core values and we're consciously and conscientiously making them truer over time. And I'll share examples about how this applies in a family or an individual context or a, you know, a back to the land project context in a bit. But one point I really want to make here is that once you've got this, and keep in mind there are there are other layers um, that I'm not going to talk about here. I think it would probably take too long. Um, this is this is this is where I start. Once you've got this, you've got something that you can re- can really help propel or disrupt you out of a very strong rut and habitual pattern in our culture, which is to approach life in a reactive way where we're constantly reacting to the demands that the world and others make on, on us, including the problems that show up. So we're solving problems where we're being led by, like we open our inbox and let that dictate what we do with our day, where the inbox is nothing but a convenient place of organizing, organizing everybody else's agenda for you, I heard someone say, and I think that's very true. And so suddenly we're, we're letting all these outside influences generate our day and the way it's working is we're basically just reacting to stuff and we all i know like we all do this i do this i just came out of a pattern which is another reason this is so relevant for me right now where i'd said yes to all these really exciting projects and then fallen back into the same old trap of feeling overwhelmed and kind of that i was neglecting the stuff i'm most passionate about my own projects because i was out there doing all this exciting stuff for other people and so i was like i need to i need to pattern interrupt and, and decide myself back into a space where I am, rather than reacting to what the world wants from me or is throwing in my face, I am proactively deciding and crafting and shaping and choosing and designing the shape of my days and my weeks and my years, year, years and my and my life as a whole. Um, and to me, decision making is very, very much about empowering a transition from life living life in a reactive way to living life in a proactive way where it's like, okay, life, what what's today about? What am I going to choose to move toward today rather than, okay, life, let's look at all the problems on the, on the shelf today and let's try and solve them one at a time. And now tomorrow comes and there's more problems and which I think there is a bit of that thing about the universe delivers tends to deliver more to you whatever it is you pay your attention to. So if you're paying, spending most of your time attending to problems and reacting to problems, the universe is like, ah, so that's your thing. All right, well, I'll, I'll offer you some more problems um, tomorrow. Whereas you focus more on practically moving towards what it is you most deeply desire and want um, and aspire toward, 
then the universe is like, oh, that's your game, all right. Well, I'll, I'll throw a few stepping stones and cut you a few lucky breaks, <laughs> whatever the case may be. All right, so I want, yeah, I want to make that point. But that, and there's a couple of different ways we use these things. One of them is when a particularly big decision comes along, we can test the decision against these statements where the job of the decision is to inject truth into one of more of these statements without detracting from any of them. Which initially was a big shift for us. We really had to train ourselves to to approach it in this way. It's like, all right, the point of this decision, no matter how exciting the invitation seems or how how pressing the problem that wants to be solved is, the, the decisions we make about engaging with the circumstance the primary job is to increase our quality of life. Knowing that if we do that and we can decide ourselves to a way where we're experiencing a lot of quality of life, in this case as a business, we're much more useful to the world. We're we're more relaxed, we're more fulfilled, um, we're more considerate, all that stuff, rather than thinking, oh, we need to please everyone and, and wipe ourselves out in the process. Okay, so where to from here? I'm probably getting up towards the halfway mark. Maybe I'll say a little bit about how I personally then learned about applying this stuff in a family context, in an individual context. So what happened with me was that it made a huge difference to veg, and it still does. And we not only have this kind of global context for veg, we have a context for sub-areas of veg, for sub-projects of veg. We have a context for veg's relationship with each significant staff member. Um, so veg is dripping in context. When we run a permaculture design course, we have a context for the course. Um, as veg, we, we, we co-articulate a context for the course with all the participants. We have a context for our relationship with our hosts and the venue, um, you know, you name it. So in the course of the year, um, there would probably be like, I don't know, 25 or 30 different contexts as in sets of purpose statements and quality of life statements not to mention the other stuff I'm not going to talk about now, um, in play. So it's, it's a very core and alive part of, of how we work. And um, one, one way I look at it is that when you, when you create these things, what you're doing, what you're, what you're birthing or, or, or bringing into form is like the DNA of a project. Oh, yes, and a, and a distinction I'll make here is between goals and quality of life statements or core principles. So a key thing here is that you don't let any decisions sneak in to a context. So we're professional, organized, and unrushed. There's no decisions about how we make that true, which might be using a certain kind of calendar or allowing a certain amount of time or having a certain number of people, whatever. There's all these ways that we can make decisions and take actions to make that true. But none of that is inside here because those decisions might change over time. This is the thing that all the decisions are in service of, it's not about kind of unconsciously um, imposing the decisions prematurely. It's like what really, what's not negotiable, what really matters, and then later on it's like, oh, we could make that decision or that decision. Like for example, some of the people I'm working with, we might do the work of, our, of supporting them to articulate what matters most to them as a family, and they're thinking that this is all about them buying land. They might then test the decision about whether buying land makes sense and will enhance quality of life in their family. And who knows, they might find out that it pa- doesn't pass. It's a, it's a fail, um, in which case they might be better off to go and buy a place or rent in a 
a rural town or even if it's as a first step or, or whatever the case may be and so that's that's a huge um it was a huge shift for me and a very liberating and powerful one and one that massively enhances resilience because if you are clear on the difference between what's negotiable and what's not, not negotiable, when the shit hits the fan, when the disruptions come in, when coronavirus comes in, you're in a position to grab onto the stuff that really matters because you've clarified it. And if you haven't, it's very it's not clear. It's, it's confused and you're grabbing all the stuff that actually doesn't matter that much thinking it matters. But if you can grab on to what matters knowing what that is and let everything else be negotiable, your resilience is enormous. And, and one of the cool things is that when you really get down deep enough, the core ingredients of quality of life for human beings are kind of um, relatively few and relatively simple in number. And we get to attach to all these bells and whistles that at the end of the day can go. Not only can they go, often they're um, impediments to quality of life. Now, I said I'd say a little bit about how I've applied it in a family, in a, um, a personal context. I'm pausing because I'm smiling because I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing my beautiful one of my beautiful nine-year-old daughter one of two the other has just turned seven and she was just um, putting an escapee chicken back into the chicken run and as I was looking at that I actually felt a little flush of quality of life surging through my system because seeing her out there doing that is a result of some of the decisions we've made toward quality of life in our family. And so what happened was that it worked so damned well for Veg that Veg suddenly had this direction and um, had a way of making decisions and a way of us learning to collaborate um, and, and be clear with each other about what mattered to each other early on. Um, it was between Adam and myself, and then over time as the business slowly grew and we, we, we hired more staff and... At times, we actually decided to, rather than just follow the business's usual trajectory of growth is good, there's times where we consciously made a decision to turn around and decelerate and shrink the business for a while or indefinitely. Um, and that felt really good. Like, it feels really good to me when when you use this approach and you make decisions that explicitly go against the grain of where the culturally dominant pathways are, because then you kind of know you're treating your own path. Whereas if you know if you if you're telling yourself you're making your own decisions and it turns out that all your decisions are 100% in correlation and alignment with you know what government's saying and what the what the corporations are saying we should do and everything else just with the cultural norms that's probably a little suspect. Um, so Veg was doing great. In the meantime, I I found myself in a relationship with an amazing woman, and then wow, there's some kids and. Um, and we got married and so it's all new and it's complex and you know it's not like it's not like a walk in the park it's like holy shit how do you balance work and life and family and I'm learning to be a husband I'm having, and I've got kids now so I have to kind of grow up and be less um, less narcissistic and self-focused there's other humans that if I, if I do the wrong thing they might die and you know all that stuff's going on I remember a friend of mine said once Dan Having a baby is like throwing a bomb into a relationship. I didn't really even hear what he was saying. I was like, whatever. Um, then we had two bombs. And um, and I thought, well, hang on a second. Why don't we apply this holistic management stuff? Um, this is still, at this point, it hadn't evolved into what I'm calling holistic decision making. Why don't we apply this stuff to us as a family? And my wife was right into it. Um, and so we sat down and we articulated a context as in... Um, some quality of life statements for us as a family and because our family doesn't exist for a specific reason 
just as an individual person doesn't exist for a specific reason we don't have a purpose statement there's not there's not one pithy reason that we exist we don't have one why so we have a diagram i'm happy to share this too we have a diagram of of the stuff and in the middle instead of a purpose statement is a picture of us actually riding a cargo bike on the day of our, of our wedding which like the way we talked about it because we already had kids then they were young it was like we we're all, all four of us were getting married <laughs> anyway i'll read through some of the quality of life statements so one is that we're we are a close family like that's a it's a guiding principle it's a core value of us as a family we're a family and we want to be a close family Another one is that we are connected to the land our food comes from. It's not negotiable. It's something we deeply need to feel is true if we're experiencing quality. Another one is that we are in a good space to ride out the coming challenges. Another one is we are active in a supportive, close-knit community. I'll just read them out. Now, we are financially secure. We make conscious consumption decisions. Our children are happy, confident, free-thinking, and learning skills relevant to the future. We are physically and emotionally healthy and strong. We are stewards of some land we have a long-term relationship with. We are time-rich, our home is alive, and we are learning, growing, creating, and laughing. And these things have served us incredibly well. Like The, the time we spent to co-evolve them and, and, and update them and whatnot has paid itself back you know, many thousands of times. And we have, we have used this, and, and all the layers underneath, but the, the, all the layers underneath are really in service of what I've just shared to make all sorts of decisions that have taken us well and truly against the grain of, of a kind of a normal linear life plan. You know, we, we decided to jump ship and we went Australia back to my homeland of New Zealand and then we used this to make a decision to buy a house bus and have this amazing adventure um, while the kids were young and, and all kinds of amazing things have happened. It's like you articulate, the, the, the if you think of this as DNA, you articulate this DNA or this 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 um, intention work, and then you use it to make decisions. It's like the shape of the life that manifests itself through the kind of the seed or the DNA of this stuff is totally unpredictable. It's you know it's generatively transformed into existence, and it's kind of exciting. And and you end up writing if you look if you make decisions this way as a family, and you look back on your life. It's like wow, that was that's a hell of a hell of a kind of lifeline we've, we've, we've written there and it's utterly unique we actually used this context this morning to test a decision and all four of us we used it to test the decision of whether our two kids are going to go back to school after um, when they're allowed to after the coronavirus thing and I'm not going to go into too much detail but let me tell you that we're all very very excited about um, how clear the context made us feel about what 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 is the right pathway forward with respect to do our kids go to school or not um, for us and it's um, yeah it's a very exciting moment in our family and it's an example of the kind of big decision that you could labor over and fall into the conventional decision making traps like without this kind of stuff when you make decisions you do whatever you do you research it you ask people you respect you consult experts you read books blah 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 Often you end up getting in arguments if it's not just about you, you know, and in a relationship you, you, you come up with something you want to do and the other person says something that you, you perceive as a critique or a reason not to do the thing you suggested and because you suggested it and you're attached to it, 
you feel attacked and so then you come up with reasons and suddenly you're trying to accumulate pros and, and the other person's trying to accumulate cons and it goes into more of an argumentative decision and you try and come up with checklists and it goes round and round and eventually you actually make a decision but you don't really even feel like you, you, you know whether it was a good decision or not and maybe you just got frustrated and tossed a coin anyway. All that kind of stuff, you can still do it if you want but um, you can also do something much more powerful, which is have these deep out, deeply articulated core values or principles and pull those out and say, well, let's let's remind ourselves that the whole point of this decision is about um, is about this. And some of the things in there may well remind you that the way in which you make the decision, um, might, you, want, you might want to make a decision about changing that pretty fast too in terms of you know, we're, we're a close family, we communicate openly or, or, or we give each other space and genuinely listen to each other's suggestions or whatever you happen to have written down. All right, let's keep this um, totally unplanned zero dot points <laughs> or notes um, spiel, spe spieling on. What happened was Veg was suddenly just moving forward powerfully to honouring its context and that felt absolutely incredible. One thing it meant is that my co-director and colleague Adam Grubb didn't leave. There was a moment there where he's like, screw this, I'm out of here. Quality of life's taking too much of a hit. And that turned around to the point where now he's deeply grateful and has um, experiences a lot of quality in his life due to being part of the business, which is a very good thing to hear your co-director and co-owner say. Um, we then applied to the family with some of the stuff I shared and the family felt a lot more coherent and organized and, um, and whole. And we were able to steer the course of the family in a more holistic way and have 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 something have a have a recourse something to go back to when the when the big decisions came up or the disruptions came up over time i realized there was something missing out in this equation in terms of my perspective and i realized it was me that i'm an individual's unique one of one singular being and that when we're making decisions that honored what was good for the family's quality of life and good for the business quality of life or the quality of life of everyone involved in those two things I had my own specific statements or core values or guiding principles that I, I was, A, wasn't clear on and B, wasn't therefore able to also factor in. And so I took some time and I created a context for myself. These kinds of things for a business is one thing and then for a family is another and that's starting to get really, um, what do you say, heartfelt and, and often it's hard not to read the, the, those statements without tearing up because they, if, if they're doing what they need to be doing they, they really should get you because it's like this is our best attempt to really reach deep into our hearts and, and articulate what matters most to us and when you start doing this as a person even more so so I don't know if I'm going to read all of these but I'll, I'll just I'll read you a couple to give you a feel for it so one of mine is that I am healthy vibrant alive and in my body that's a core truth core value for me i don't i don't want to live my life in a way where i'm making that less true over time and it's so easy to do that for so many reasons another core value for me is that i am doing creating and being what i love in a way that harnesses and hones my gifts while serving others in a more beautiful world now life's too short for me not to be doing that that matters that matters to me uh, another one is, I'm a wonderful father, contributing to an upbringing my children will look back on with gratitude. Now, it's not that these things are true when you write them, or 
you know, they may never be fully true. I mean, hopefully there's times when they are. They're challenging you to live up to what your heart knows you're capable of. You know, it's like reaching into the, the potential inside yourself and, 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 and then putting it in a form that challenges you to decide your way toward it. Um, I don't know if that language sounds funny. It was for me at first, this idea that you, when you make a decision, you're, you're deciding towards something and away from other things. Like this idea that when you make a decision, some pretty significant stuff goes on. Because like, take a moment, like right now in your life, and you're making decisions right now. Like every moment you're making a decision to keep listening to this if you're still listening, or you might have just made the decision to, 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 get, to get the hell off this podcast, whatever. Um, but at each moment there are options available to you and, and, a, and a name for a real option available to you is a possibility. And so at any moment, there are all these possibilities. Part of, for me, part of holistic decision-making is realizing that at any moment, there are much, there's much more possible, there are more possibilities available to us than we're aware of. So it's learning to become more of aware of just how many things are possible for us at any given moment. And then the other core part of it is is getting clear on which of all these possibilities is the right or the best possibility for us to actualize, to decide into existence right now. And the thing is, when you make any decision, you simultaneously breathe life into one of those possibilities and you breathe death into all of the others. And there might be a thousand or 10,000 or 10 million of them. And so every time you make a decision, and you can relate to this on big decisions, but it's happening on tiny decisions too, is you decide which possibilities in front of you get to live and which get to die. And then as you decide, 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 decide your way through life, you're leaving this um, legacy of dead possibilities and one pathway of the possibilities that lived. And to me, when I think of it that way, I'm like, holy shit, I want to pay more attention to these bloody moments of decision-making because those are the only moments in my life when I get to direct where my life goes. And when I get towards the end of my life or my year or my week and look back on the week, year or life, the shape of that pathway is determined by the decisions I made moment by moment. So suddenly I want to make the best possible decisions I can and, and, and do what I can to wake up and become more conscious and aware of how many decisions um, are being made by other people basically you know, where I'm just getting swept along for the ride not to mention getting caught up in the rut, the rut of reacting and getting really confused about the difference between what's important to me and what's not important for me. Which as an aside, this is very powerfully useful for, or has been for me. Um, some of you might have read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, where he talks about that matrix involving important, non-important, and urgent, non-urgent. One thing that book didn't do for me, and I know it hasn't done for others, is it doesn't really give you that much clarity on how do you how do you clarify what is what what important means, which is exactly what I've been sharing this part of this aspect or facet of um, holistic decision making is in articulating a context, articulating quality of life statements or core values. That's exactly what you're doing. You are clarifying and articulating important. And suddenly you're really clear on what, what important means for you so that you can honor it as you make decisions. And you can get clear on the difference between what's important and what's not important and how much, if we're asleep at the wheel, how much energy we're putting into stuff that's not actually that important to us. Like in, in variable gardens, we'd always have people calling saying, would you do this, would you do this, would you come to our council 
stall on keeping pets in a good way and, and run a workshop on uh, composting dog poo or something. Worm, worm, worm farms to compost dog poo. And in the past, we'd be like, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good for the business and exposure. Sometimes they don't even often, often to pay us. But once we got the decision-making started and we, we were able to look at our context and, and realize, hang on, this would make us less, let's say, in this case, saying yes would make us less professional, organized, and unrushed. That matters to us, so we're going to say no. Sometimes people would be surprised and offer to pay us more or whatever, but it was that amazing clarity of that is not important for us. It's not important to spend our weekend composting dog poo in a worm farm. It's important for us to be with our family or to have some breathing space or take a bushwalk or whatever it is. And and one other thing I'll, I'll mention, and I'm just sort of jumping around a bit here, but the way I like to say it is that the word no are the secretaries of life. So really to honor yourself and express yourself and um, and develop your potential in the world, I'm pretty sure you've got to be saying the word no a lot because the world's always inviting us into things and trying to sell us stuff. And unless you say no to almost all of it and only say yes to the stuff that's consistent with your unique DNA and what matters most to you, then you know, you, you, you're not going to get there. You're going to get thrown all over the show. And so I like that idea that you can say the word no to someone else in a way where you're, what you're saying to yourself is, yes, I am going to honor what matters most to me or my family. Yes. But the word they hear is the word no, because the way you're saying yes to yourself is by saying no to the however cool the idea was or the thing they wanted to try to sell you. And so sometimes people get confused of notice because your body language is yes, because you're you're focusing on your internal yes, but the word you're saying to them is no. So they're like, oh, great. Okay, just sign here. And they're like, hang on. Did you say yes or no? I said no. And and vice versa, when you say when you do say yes to somebody else, we're often saying no to ourselves, which is pretty screwed up when you think about it. To go through life saying, "Am I going to spend today doing that thing that I really, really have so much energy and passion for, and is going to inject quality of life into my day and help me contribute more and more value to the world and the holes I'm nested within?" No, <laughs> no. Instead, I'm going to say yes to about going on this. I don't know going to this thing at the cafe or um, someone's birthday party or whatever the case may be. That said, um, don't get me wrong, many times it is going to be important to go to your, to a birthday party, especially, let me stress, if it's your mother's. All right, I don't know how, how we're going here. How, how long have I been raving on for? Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, I think we're good. We've got a few more minutes. So I'm just going to check in with myself, um, kind of think about whether or not this has been useful. In terms of usefulness, maybe what I'll do is is assuming that anyone's still listening to this and they're finding any of this helpful, and I'm, I'm sure many of you, I mean, I know one thing I'm really excited about with this podcast is that I have a genuine feeling that there's a shared community that's on a journey together, like I'm hearing from a lot of you weekly on emails and chatting with you, uh, you know, having Zoom calls and, and a bunch of you are coming along to the um, the gatherings we have for patrons of the project every six weeks, and I'm very, very excited to feel less alone and to feel that we're building a shared language, a shared repertoire of frameworks and, and whatnot. And I know that a lot of you as permaculture designers and just general are aware of holistic decision making and have been using it. And indeed, on an upcoming episode with Scott Gallant in Costa Rica, I'm going to be, I don't know if you say critiquing, but I'm going to be going through their recently articulated holistic context for their um, for their permaculture design business. Um, so it's going to become a bit of an ongoing theme, I think. And I thought, well, it's high time to, to share a bit about it and kind of get that out there. 
especially given it's something that's so core to my life and my approach to design that I haven't really shared much at all. Um, I'm, I'm moving to more of a space of just sharing all the good stuff rather than trying to draw um, two firmer lines around making permaculture stronger, which does have its own purpose statement, as you may well be aware. In terms of the usefulness stuff, if you were interested in, in trying this out and and whether you start by applying it to yourself or your marriage or your family or your business, whatever, I think all else being equal, it's nice to start with yourself. And then when you move to the marriage or the business, you can approach it from the perspective of, well, now I know what matters to me most, what quality of life means to me. I can bring that to the larger conversation and ensure that what I bring to the conversation with colleagues, let's say in the business, um, includes what matters most to me. Because that's the point, is that, is that moving forward, everyone involved in the thing, be it marriage or business, whatever, is inc- is increasingly and deeply fulfilled. So it's about being very, very honest about what what matters most, and I guess being open to the possibility that you'll find there's a there's a clash or a disconnect or not a lack of overlap between what matters most. And if you can find that out before you start the business or early on, not to say the the, the, the marriage, <laughs> the better, right? You can make the right decisions for yourselves. But if you want to crack at quality of life, so one way of going about it is just, um, well, I'll give you a few different ways. So way number one is to go back and image your life historically in the past, in the last year or whatever, last decade you choose, and go find a day that absolutely shone, like it just stood out as a truly great day, a day when you felt in flow and... um, you felt like you were really showing up and being you and you were just experiencing unprecedented or, or remarkably high degrees of deep satisfaction and fulfillment. Go back and find one of those. We've all had them. And image that day as clearly as you can and think about what, what was going on and start to write what was going on down. So this was happening. I was in this kind of relationship with so-and-so or with others. I was, um, I, I was feeling a... Just this this sense of being non-separate from the the trees and the rocks and the beach or, or whatever it was, or I was just lost in the flow of of art my artistic creation and this amazing um, piece of work came out of it. Or you, you you get the feel. Just write that stuff down, and you and what you'll have is a pretty cracking good first draft of some quality of life statements. Way number two. Do the opposite. Go back in the past or just imagine in the future a day that absolutely sucks. It was a complete freaking nightmare. Everything went wrong. You felt terrible. You were embarrassed of how you showed up. It just sucked. You cried yourself to sleep that night. And write down or tune into what was it that sucked so much about that day and then write down the opposite. So flip those things upside down on their head. Um, and that, that can be a really great way of... Of, of discovering what matters most to you because when when the things that matter most to you aren't honoured or they're tra- trampled all over, um, by definition, you feel terrible. You know, your quality of life plunges because those are the ingredients of quality of life for you. So that's another way. Um, oh, yeah, there's one you, you'll heard, of, most of you will heard a variation of this, but make image that in the future it's your 80th birthday or even it's even you're dead if you want to Adam finds this a bit macabre but you're, you're, you're a fly on the wall at your funeral or your 80th birthday 
and um, you're hearing your, a friend or close loved family member either read your eulogy or read a nice rousing speech about about you and what they appreciate appreciate about you and you know imagine that as clearly as possible assuming that it will be you know the kind of speech you'd be really really happy to hear I mean you, you could go the other way and approach it from the nightmare side but you know that that's another way of, of st stimulating the flow of a lot of these things so the point is there's no one right way or collection of ways but the idea is that you um, you, you start to hone in on some of the things that, that matter most to you and you get them down you don't need too many you don't they don't need to be good they can be roughly worded they're not for anyone else they're only for you and then you can start to make decisions and there's a there's a few different ways of going about that that I, I probably will leave for another time and I'll, I guess I'll see if this was of an interest to anyone um, before going there and and as I say that I think I've probably said more than enough right like rabbiting on here I'll be curious to see how how it lands whether this just felt really discombobulated and all over the show and confusing or or it felt alive and fresh and generated in the moment in a powerfully compelling and useful way or somewhere in between um, and um, if nothing else it's a bit of a taste of some of the flavors that will be coming into the mix a little bit more as we as we go along and so I think it's time for me to start wrapping this up. What else to tell you? I think I mentioned I've got a lot of episodes um, coming up. I've, I've um, I actually postponed the the interview I, I mentioned with David Holmgren. That'll that'll still be happening. We'll find another time in the next week or so. Um, there's a there's a couple where it's more the flavour of it is more other people interviewing me, which will be another fun experiment. Trying a lot of different stuff out at the moment. And um, we're going to be dipping more into holistic decision making, definitely dipping more into living design process. Um, no doubt the living systems thinking stuff, the Carol Sanford stuff will still be in the background. Um, although, yeah, it, 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 there'll be times where it sort of dips back in some of the other stuff and the work on generative transformation comes back up into the fore. One thing I'd really love to hear from people about is that I had a few different perspectives after the um, the the first two installments of the conversation with Simon Marshall, like some people found it really compelling and resonant and easy to relate to. One person um, said that they enjoy it more when I, um, you know, talk to more seasoned, um, I don't know, not experts, but you know, the Regenesis people, Carol Sanford, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and were encouraging me to talk to people outside of permaculture too. That was probably more where they were coming from is that, um, that for them they were worried that making permaculture stronger podcasts could become a bit of an echo chamber um, and it'd be really great to hear me talking and exploring similar themes with you know, I don't know whatever architects and planners and um, who knows archaeologists philosophers and there's pros and cons to that and, and I'm feeling fine just to try experiments and see what happens but if you do have an opinion on, on and I'd, I, you know I would like to factor that in what's actually useful value ball for you the kinds of things you'd like to keep listening to and hear more of um do do let me know that'd be that'd be much appreciated uh and one one last thing i'll mention is that in alan savory's email this morning i'll actually read out his, his words he said uh, Dan, sorry I'll slow off the market, it's precious here. Please go to my Facebook site and see my appeal and help if you can by spreading it. We are really in a crisis mode. And so I did that. And, and the situation is that, as I said, they've been in lockdown in Zimbabwe. 
and there's massive corruption in Zimbabwe, meaning some of the donations intended for their center, the, which is the Af I think it's the African Center for Holistic Management, um, you know, being ripped off by the government, and so I think he said there's like six hundred percent inflation at the moment. I'll just find the actual website because I, I went there and I don't usually do this sort of stuff, but I, I threw threw fifty bucks in their direction because Alan and his wife Jody are managing that centre right now, and, and as you said, they're in crisis mode. Um, that their income is, has been dependent on uh, people. I don't know, tourists coming to see what they're doing and I think they've got a cafe and stuff like that. Um, I don't know the exact details, but suddenly that's all dead, totally dried up and they've got a whole bunch of local staff and livestock and the land that they're, they're managing. And of course, they've got holistic management, so they've got the financial planning in their own context, which puts them in good stead, but um, they're in a spot there. So the link to learn more and make a donation if you want is africacenterforholisticmanagement.org possibly the longest website address I've ever read out or seen africacenterforholisticmanagement.org how fast can you say that africacenterforholisticmanagement.org partially in gratitude for the fact Alan in the middle of this crisis is, is finding the time to very generously reply to my emails I wanted to mention that that if, if you're inclined go check it out and make, make your own decision based on your own quality of life statements about whether you want to share with others or, or support what they're up to there. Okay, okay. makingpermacultrastronger.net is the website this podcast is part of. Check it out if you want to. Lots going on there. Um, if you want to support the project, which I'd be delighted if you made, wanted to make that decision um, without any pressure, you can go to patreon.com slash makingpermaculturestronger. Take care, and there'll be another episode coming your way pretty soon. I have no doubt about that, and look forward to seeing what you'll make of this uh, of this installment. All right, take care and we'll see you soon. Bye.